Welcome to Sisters Speak French, where we discuss season three of the Fox TV series Fringe from a sister's point of view. I'm Sister J. And I'm Sister K. And welcome to episode 20. Let's get started. Okay. All right. <laughs> this episode, we will be talking about Fringe episode three of season three titled The Plateau. And we start off the episode in Hoboken, New Jersey. We see a man um, who we later find out his name is Milo. So I'll just go ahead and call him Milo now. Who is watching a woman walk down the opposite side of the street. Um, sees her give a homeless man some change. And then smell some flowers and walk into a little shop to buy a bouquet of daisies. He looks at the corner stoplight. Um, then turns and looks at a bus that has a downtown sign on it, driving down the street, and a man sitting at an outdoor cafe drinking coffee. Uh, he then looks at a taxi that hits a pothole in front of a mailbox, which starts to shake from the vibration of it hitting the pothole. At this point, Milo crosses the street and puts a blue ballpoint pen, looks like a bit to me, mm-hmm. on top of the mailbox, um, standing straight up and down. He turns, he looks down the street and sees a bicyclist uh, riding down the street and he turns and walks away. Um, In front of him, the woman that he was looking at earlier comes out of the flower shop and he walks behind her um, as a taxi drives by the mailbox, which causes it to vibrate, which causes the pin to fall. The man that was sitting at the outside cafe gets up to pick up the pin, which causes the bicyclist who was just cutting onto the sidewalk to swerve to avoid hitting the man. The man gets startled, falls into the mailbox. The bicyclist is startled and falls into a display of fruit stand in front of the store, which causes this big commotion on the sidewalk that the bus driver in turn turns to look at, which makes him miss the light turning red and causes him to hit the woman with the flowers as she tries to cross the street. I mean, he hit her too. Thump. Thump, man. It was good. It just showed him. It was good scene. We see all of this and her getting hit by the bus from Milo's point of view as he is walking away from the scene. It was kind of a really cool shot. Mm-hmm. Um, at Fringe headquarters, we see Olivia, our Olivia, entering the Fringe division headquarters and being welcomed by Charlie. They banter back and forth about nonsensical stuff and kind of laughing with each other. And we see Broyles watching them from the second floor office window, really watching Olivia. Walter walks up behind him and asks him how she seems. Walter Nett. Yeah, Walter Nett, excuse me. Walter Nett walks behind Broyles and asks him how she seems, and Broyles tells him that she seems like Olivia Dunham, and Walter tells him, well, for all intents and purposes, she is. Walter Nett. Yes, okay, Walter Nett. Um, he says through all the testing that they've done, she responds as if she's their agent Dunham. And so Broyles asks about their agent Dunham and Walter says, well, she's on the other side, focused on the task at hand. <laughs> Look, if I don't say, you Walter, don't say Walter, all, all the episodes, if I don't say Walter, y'all know we're in the well, alternate just, universe. Yeah, just announce you're in the alternate universe. We know we're in the alternate universe. Well, you didn't announce that. Probably. Okay. So. Where was I? Oh, yeah. So, Walternate tells Broyles that Olivia, their Olivia, is on the other side, focused on the task at hand. 
Broyles asks him if he can speak freely, and Walter says sure, and tells him that it's dangerous to have an imposter embedded on his team, especially one that cannot be trusted to respond in the field and is harmful, may be harmful to his current team. Walter then tells him that there's no other choice, and over time she will reach a plateau where her new identity will be fixed. Broyles protests um, how long, you know, that he needs to know how long it's going to take so that none of his current team members are put in danger. Uh, Walter tells him to sit down and then discloses to him that Olivia can, this Olivia can move between worlds without harm. He needs her to submit to their testing willingly so they can learn what she knows and they can defend, uh, begin to defend themselves. Braille seems like he understands, but still seems worried and asks Walternet what they're going to do if her new identity doesn't hold. And Walternet tells him, well, then she'll no longer be needed. Mm, mm, mm. We don't know what that means. Mm. <laughs> so we see uh, Charlie, Olivia, and the team in a fringe division van on the way to the scene discussing the bus crash. Charlie says that there were two crashes, two mornings in a row, one the day before and this one. He, as he's talking, he looks like he's in pain and asks Olivia to take over. She runs down what they know about the first victim from the little iPad they got. Mm-hmm. Looked like an iPad to me. Uh, she runs down what they know about the first victim from the previous day while Charlie takes out his little shot and gives himself a shot in the wrist. Mm-hmm. As they approach the site, Charlie calls for the team to get their oxygen out, and they all do, but then another team member tells them that the air is clear, so they're not going to need it. Charlie also mentions that Agent Lee is going to meet them there. So at the scene, we see Lincoln, Agent Lee, getting out of the car, um, arriving at the scene, and his nurse telling him that he has to be back in eight hours, or all his burns are going to regress, and all the progress they made is going to be for nothing. He says, yeah, 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 I'll be there. So uh, he sees Charlie at the scene and tells him that he needs the victim's ID. So Charlie walks off to go get it, and then Olivia walks up and hands him his field kit. As they walk to the victim, Olivia apologizes to him for pulling a gun on him earlier, and he tells her that there's, they're all good, there was no problem, nothing happened, so everything's fine. She seems grateful, and they, they're starting to walk, and this is when I kind of notice her walk. Mm-hmm. She walking yep. all hard and crazy like Olivia right. does. Okay. Yep. We'll talk about that later. Uh, Charlie uh, is looking at the body of the, the woman who died and takes this little gadget out of his pocket and puts her fingerprint on it to get her identity. And he realizes that she's actually from that city, Hoboken. Olivia talks to the bus driver, and he's telling her that he's never hit a person before. He hit a pigeon, and he was so upset for days after that. (laughs) And he just looks like he's real upset. Lincoln has this little gadget that he's checking the atmosphere and says there's no molecular degradation, degradation, and everything is intact. This agent next to him asks him, well, then why is this considered a French case? And Lincoln kind of is looking around like, yeah, huh, why? He's standing right in front of the mailbox and notices a blue ball, ballpoint pen in front of it and picks it up. He uh, shows it to Charlie and Olivia and asks them when they last saw a ballpoint pen. Olivia's like, wow, I don't think since preschool. <laughs> and Charlie says he didn't even know they still made ballpoint pens. Mm-hmm. 
Olivia tells them, and she asks him where they find it. He found it, and he said in front of the mailbox. She's like, well, that's where the bike messenger says that he swerved to avoid hitting an old guy who was bent down. Lincoln looks thoughtful and says that it's rare to find a ballpoint pen lying around. And Olivia says that maybe the old man was bending down to pick it up, causing the bike messenger to swerve. Charlie then finishes her sentence by saying that it caused the bike messenger to hit the fruit stand, which caused all the commotion. Lincoln says that it was kind of all part of a chain reaction caused by the pen. And uh, at this point, Olivia looks across the street and sees Peter standing there. She looks kind of weirded out, upset, and Charlie notices and asks her if she's okay. And she says, well, I thought I recognized someone, but apparently not. Never mind. They go back to talking about the case, and they all conclude that something weird happened, but they're not sure if it was a fringe event or not. Uh, we see next um, Frank, Olivia's, faux Olivia's boyfriend, in the apartment cutting up food in the kitchen while watching a news story about a smallpox outbreak in North Texas. Why well, have to be North Texas? I know. Where we live. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia comes in and they hug and he asks her how it went. And she says, oh yeah, it was okay. And notices the news. And she asks him if he's gotten a call yet. And he tells her, no, not yet. Um, we find out that he's a virologist. And Olivia tell, you know, mentions that smallpox is a specialty and that he should start packing because they're going to call him. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I don't want to talk about me. Let's talk about more about your day. And she kind of looks kind of uneasy and he asks her what happened. And she tells him that they were out in the field and she saw um, the senator's son, Peter, in sort of a hallucination because he really wasn't there. He looks worried and he tells her that she should tell Broyles. And that maybe she doesn't need to be out in the field yet. Uh, let me stop you for a minute. It, Walter Net is not a senator. He's his secretary. Okay, whatever. Secretary Walter Nett's son, Peter. <laughs> okay, so she tells him that she needs to get her life back and she wants to be out in the field. And he kind of ignores her and says, well, maybe I can take myself off call so because it's not probably a good idea for me to travel right now. She tells him that it was her first day. And it's not surprising that there's still a trace of whatever is going on with her. She kind of notices the counter of what he's doing and sees some avocados. And she's like, are those avocados? Where did you get them? And how much were they? And he he says, yeah, they are. Don't worry about how much they were. And he kind of goes back and says that um, he wants her to promise him that, he, that if she sees another hallucination, that she'll tell Broyles because he loves her and he wants her to be okay. Mm-hmm. She she promises him and then says, well, can we eat to kind of get away from the situation? <laughs> he's like, okay, sure. I'll be like, let me eat them avocados too. Them things look good. <laughs> so back at the French headquarters, Lincoln and Charlie are running through um, the accident timelines for both days. They find out that the first bus driver was distracted, um, which leads them to believe that each distraction caused the accident. Charlie doesn't notice any connection between the victims. One worked at a hospital and one worked at Grayson Electric. Lincoln says that Olivia agrees with him that there there was a chain reaction that led up to the accident. Charlie asks Lincoln if he thinks Olivia is doing okay. Lincoln thinks that she is, but Charlie doesn't look too sure. Charlie tells him that he feels a little uncomfortable. 
And Lincoln tells him it's not surprising that he feels this way since he let a doppelganger knock him over the head with a bottle and get away. <laughs> he tells Charlie that he knows Olivia well enough to tell her apart from the faux Olivia. Mm. Charlie says, well, you just think that because you kissed her once. And Lincoln's like, well, I didn't know she had a boyfriend at the time, but but anyway, that's not the point. The point is, I know her well enough, and I would have known if she wasn't the real one. Yeah. And right. Charlie's like, okay, whatever you say. Um, he says, well, you keep saying that, but when she was going through her little breakdown, she kept telling him that they were trying to make her feel like she was someone she wasn't. And Charlie wonders if maybe she was right and she's not the same Olivia. While they're talking, they're looking over the video footage of the first accident and they happen to zoom in on the body and see a ballpoint pen next to the body. They both, they go to Astrid um, and call Olivia in. And so they all go to Astrid and ask her if it's possible for this to happen. She's like, nope, it's not possible. And, and Lincoln says, well, we see the impossible every day. She's like, well, it's prob it's, it's improbable, but not possible. What's the word? It's probable but impossible based on the criteria they had. Um, Astrid breaks down all the probabilities and tells them there's no way she could check all the different scenarios to see if that would happen. She can't calculate it, but she breaks it down so much where you can actually know that she's got a good flair for numbers. As they discuss it, she looks down at her computer and kind of gets quiet. And tells them that another accident with a bus has happened. Yeah. Uh, so they run out to the crime to the scene of the accident, and notice the um, two victims uh, at the scene, but nobody has died. As they begin to interview witnesses, Lincoln asks some young guy if he noticed the ballpoint pen anywhere. <laughs> And the guy's looking at him, all confused, and Lincoln's trying to explain to him what a ballpoint pen is. Charlie walks up to Olivia while she's helping give medical help to a victim and tells her that a dog ran into the street and distracted the driver mm-hmm. of the bus. Olivia tells Charlie the accident didn't work this time because the victim's going to make it. She tells, um, she sees the lady, a lady uh, who was part of the accident start to get up off the floor, and she tells her, ma'am, ma'am, please just stay still until the ambulance gets here. As the lady gets up, we see a ballpoint pen, big blue, rolling out from under the lady. And Olivia realizes the chain reaction is not yet over. She looks around at all the crowd and notices a strange man looking at the scene, which we see is Milo, mm-hmm. looking at the scene from an overpass. While she looks at him, a jogger with earphones on, walks into the street and gets hit by the ambulance coming. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, wait, we'll wait for the actual reca- uh, thing for that. She yells to Charlie that he's still there and runs to the overpass. The man, Milo, excuse me, Milo sees her, grabs <clears throat> the bicycle of the guy who's standing next to him on the bridge and throws it over the side of the bridge. Mm-hmm. It crashes on the street below, and then he turns to face Olivia all calm with his hands in his pockets. She, she runs up the stairs to the overpass with her gun drawn and tells him to pull his hands out of his pocket and put his hands on his head. He does real slowly, and then we see a delivery truck swerving to miss the bike on the street below and cutting in underneath the overpass. Mm -hmm. He jumps over the side of the bridge, lands on the truck, 
sits down, crosses his legs, <laughs> and looks up at Lydia like, what, what? Come on, give me now, smiling. lady. Smiling mm-hmm. at me. Smirking, really. Okay, then we have a commercial, and I'm doing the second part. Okay, <clears throat> when we come back, we're at the Department of Defense Hospital, and of course, Lincoln has to go back into his little hyperbaric chamber because those uh, birds are starting to pop out, you know. And uh, so he's, while they're trying to get him in the chamber, he's telling Olivia all what to do. Okay, check the tax records, check credit cards, check everything, you know, check everything and see what all these victims had in common. And Olivia's trying to tell him, yeah, 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 I know what to do, you know. So after they get him back in that little chamber, then, of course, Olivia goes on to do her investigation. So then we see Milo. Milo is going home to his sister Maddie's house. And we see Maddie and she's kind of pacing around the room. And then Milo walks in and she demands to know where he's been and says, you know, they they have been calling all day for you. And Milo says something uh, something that's a little bit indecipherable, but he's, he's uh, kind of talking gibberish and kind of computing stuff too. And he starts spouting all these probabilities. <clears throat> so then he starts finishing his sister's sentences for her. And she's getting a little irritated and stuff. And she's, uh, um, yeah. (laughs) Well, she didn't look too freaked out, but she was just getting kind of irritated. So, excuse me. She went and got this little, little bitty miniature toy horse, and she holds it up to him. And, you know, Milo was getting a little bit more upset and a little bit more upset. But when he saw the little toy horse, then he kind of got a little bit calmer. And he he kind of looks at her and says, that's irrelevant now. And we find out through the sister's conversation that, (coughs) excuse me, evidently their mother gave that little horse to Milo when he was still, you know, a lower IQ as a reminder that he didn't have to do anything that he didn't want to do and that they all loved him. But Milo's telling her, uh, that's irrelevant now. So the sister says, you know, I made a mistake when I signed you up. Uh, but you have to follow the rules. And Milo kind of looks at her. He doesn't say anything. And he's walking out. And this actor, <coughs> excuse me, he's playing Milo. He's really good because every time he's getting, he's calculating stuff, he's rubbing his fingers together. On his right he's just like rubbing his little fingers together. I thought that was really good. Okay, now, at the Department of Defense Fringe Division, we see Charlie and Olivia <clears throat> they are sitting at their little workstations and they're calling potential witnesses who were at the scene that day. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Olivia calls their little dispatcher and says, okay, she's ready to be connected to the next witness. And then she kind of says, what? What, what code? Because she doesn't realize that you have to have a code. And so Olivia's asking Charlie, what's the code? Well, Charlie's kind of hesitating because, you know, he's kind of in the back of his mind thinking, this isn't even our Olivia. So he asked her a question about, remember when they was on some roller coaster and she threw up all next to the person to him and stuff, and Olivia kind of looks at him and says, yeah, but <clears throat> you're the one that threw up on the person sitting next to you. Why are you trying to change history like that? So Charlie just kind of smiles and he inputs the code for her so she can have the next witness. And the, uh, uh, then Olivia gets the information that there <clears throat> was a uh, the woman the the woman that we see named Jillian Foster 
who was at the beginning of the episode, she was a consultant for this Greston Electric Company. And this Greston Electric Company was one of the, uh, the um, <clears throat> excuse me, is a vendor for the first victim, who was this guy who worked at this hospital called Bryant Hospital. So they began to think, hmm, we need to go to that hospital. So the next scene, they're at Bryant Hospital, and they're there to talk to a Dr. Levine. So he must be the little head doctor there. And while they are waiting for this doctor, because the receptionist says, you know, I'll get him right away. Then Olivia is looking into this room, and there's all these people sitting, and they're drawing and writing at, the, uh, at this table. But Olivia is hallucinating that she's seeing Walter, and that Walter's standing there in that little sweater that he wears, smiling at her. And she's kind of, what? But then Charlie comes up behind Olivia and he says, uh, you notice anything? He says, I know we're in the right place because then they notice this big, huge little container full of those big blue pens sitting on the table. And all those people are writing or drawing with using those blue pens. So Dr. Levine comes and he takes them to his office and as they're talking, they learn that the victims of the other three um, uh, accidents, they were all staff members at the hospital or in an experimental program on a, a, a drug trial program. And what they did was they experimented on people with IQs less than 65. That's pretty, pretty low. With these drugs they called smart drugs. And Dr. Levine, as he's telling them this, he's showing videotapes of a woman who had a, a, an IQ of, uh, you know, really low, and they were going to do some trials. And Olivia says, wait a minute, roll that back. Who's that in the background? And so Olivia sees Milo. And Dr. Levine says, oh, that's Milo Stanfield. And he had a measured IQ of 56. That's pretty low. That's very, very mentally retarded. And, but after one treatment, Milo was computing the digits of pi. And they show him on this, uh, uh, on this videotape, and he is writing down all the digits of pi, which is pretty nearly, nearly impossible for a human to do, after only one treatment. Then Dr. Levine tells him, uh, to date, Milo has had five treatments. So after that, they were returned. Uh, after their treatments, the protocol is, they're returned to the guardian, to their guardian, and they stay with their guardian for a little while so they can still kind of monitor them to see how they do out in the world. And then after that phase is over, then the subjects are returned back to their original state, which means that they go back to that really low IQ state. So they determined that Milo is the person causing all these accidents because he did not want to be regressed back to his IQ of 56. So he killed all the people who administered the trials. And the third victim was a recovery specialist that the hospital contracted with when people in their trials go missing. But the doctor tells them, but we only put that contract out today. So Milo must have uh, anticipated that. So they learned that Milo's sister is his guardian and that she lives in Oyster Bay. So, of course, you know, Olivia and Charlie go to Oyster Bay and, um, you know, 
they're going to they're gonna talk to the sister. But as they leave Dr. Levine's office and they're walking down these long steps uh, out of this hospital building, then Milo is standing up on a, a higher floor from them and he is watching them. And you could see his little mind, we get to see from his mind's eye view, and he begins to plot the probability of things already. And he's plotting and plotting and plotting. Okay. Olivia and Charlie uh, do go to visit the sister in Oyster Bay, New York. And the sister's name is Maddie. And I think her name is Madeline, but they, uh, she goes by Maddie. And the sister says that, uh, you know, she doesn't believe it. Milo would not kill three people. And Charlie said, well, Milo did kill three people because they were trying to cut off his meds that make him smart. So he killed them. So the sister kind of thinks about it, and Olivia's talking to her and telling her, you know, I know you two are real close because she can see pictures on the mantle and stuff. And uh, Maddie has says, you know, she, she, she always... Uh, even though that uh, Milo is older than her, she's a younger sister, but she always worried about him. She just wanted him to be happy and, you know, everything. So that's the reason she signed him up for the trials. And so Olivia's trying to tell her, well, but, you know, we do not want him to hurt anyone else, but we don't want him to get hurt either. So Maddie gives her this letter that evidently Milo wrote her a goodbye letter but he also told her where he, where he could be reached. So, you know, and um, so he was staying at the Patricia Hotel on Lakewood Avenue. So, of course, they're going to rush over there. But Charlie's trying to tell Olivia, well, but wait a minute. And he points out that, okay, if Milo knows that we're after him and he knows his sister, don't you think this might be a setup, you know, that he's at this Patricia Hotel? So they're kind of thinking, hmm. And so Olivia calls Astrid over at French Division, and she's asking her what are the probabilities that this could be a setup. And Astrid's trying to tell her, um, I, I cannot answer that because it could be he anticipated that you were going to call me and ask me that, and therefore you're going to go a different way. But then maybe he was thinking that, may oh, and she went through this whole convoluted thing. So they said, okay, okay, we'll take care of it. So then, then we see that Olivia and Charlie, they go on to the vicinity of the, the Patricia uh, Hotel. They're going to go and, and talk to Milo. But Milo is there, and he's watching them as they come in. And Milo is, is watching in his mind's eye like in the future, about five minutes, because he's watching them park their car and walk down the street, and he's he's calculating all these probabilities. And the the, the uh, predictable outcome that he has is that Olivia's going to chase him, and he's going to run through this particular uh, construction site, and a wall of concrete blocks is supposed to fall on Olivia and crush her, of course. So, And then that takes care of her. So... Then he starts to like really concentrate and shake a little bit and the clock goes all the way back to the present time. So I, I wasn't quite clear on that. But then we see Olivia and Charlie actually arriving on the scene. They're parking their car. They're walking down the sidewalk. And then we see Milo and he's standing on the sidewalk about a half a block ahead of them just standing there 
watching them walk toward him. And so, of course, they say, hey, you know, just like a cartoon. Hey, there he is. And they take out kind of running. So he takes out running and run, runs down this alley. And he's running all through this uh, this little neighborhood and stuff. And, of course, Olivia and Charlie um, follow. And Olivia's telling uh, 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 Charlie, you know, run that way and I'll run this way, you know. And so they're running and running. And, and of course, they run through the construction area that Milo had seen. And Olivia runs through that whole area and as those concrete blocks start to fall she ran over to the right of them and dodged them of course and kept running and Milo standing there and hey that's not supposed to happen and by that time she caught up with him and she pushes him into this fence you're probably gonna say you're under rest but they both fall down because the air is getting real real thin they, they were supposed to use their little oxygen inhalers and we'll find it out in a minute. And uh, so they both kind of fall to the ground, and he kind of knocks her little inhaler over. She had one. He had one. Well, yeah, he had one, but she had a gun or something in her hand, and it kind of, you know, flew out of her hand, and she's kind of gasping for air. And then he he gets up to go run, and, of course, Charlie's there, and he it tells him, you know, freeze, stop, you know. And Milo kind of goes you know, kind of turns a little bit to, to get ready to run, and Charlie shoots him in the leg. <laughs> so Milo was going to get up and try to run again, and Charlie lets him know, uh, the next shot will not be in your leg. So then he kind of looks at Olivia gasping and stuff, so he gives her his oxygen and says, here, uh, it's the red button, you know, and so she pushes the little red button and inhales really good and everything, and, you know, of course she's okay. The next scene, we see Milo is strapped to a gurney, and he's going to be transported wherever they're going to take him, you know, by an ambulance. And, you know, Olivia's sitting there, and she's breathing in oxygen, and a, a, a paramedic is taking her blood pressure, and Charlie's questioning Olivia and saying, you know, asking her why she broke the protocol by passing through an Auburn diamond, which that's some kind of little area or when you see a flashing auburn diamond, you're supposed to, I guess, take out your inhaler and, you know. Oxygen. Yeah, or your oxygen and breathe oxygen because that's your cue. There's no air. Yeah, that there's no air. And so uh, <clears throat> Olivia says that, you know, she doesn't know why that she did that. She just, you know, just kept going. And Charlie says, well, I know why. It's because you're a daredevil. And he tells, you know. Let's never do that again. And Olivia says, you know, she kind of shakes her head, yeah, but as Charlie kind of walks on off, Olivia's looking kind of worried. She's looking like, she's thinking like, mm, why did I do that? So the next scene, <clears throat> we see that Olivia has taken Maddie down this little hall, this corridor, to see her brother, Milo. And Milo is sitting in a room, isolated. Nothing in the room but Milo, and he's sitting at this computer that's, you know, fitted down, down into the uh, table, just like kind of like Astrid uh, does. And Milo's got his little fingers uh, uh, rubbing and, and going, and he's calculating and stuff. And Olivia tells um, Maddie that the doctors were not able to reverse the effects of... Uh, of the drug because they had been in Milo's system for too long. So he's going to be that little calculating genius person for the rest of his days. And Olivia also tells her that, you know, <clears throat> Milo's thoughts are so complex that the doctors said that uh, his thoughts can't even be put into words. So the, the only way that 
he can be, uh, 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 his thoughts can be interpreted as by a machine. So that's why he's talking to that little computer machine. And so, you know, Maddie looks really hurt and kind of worried, but she goes into the room and she touches Milo's hand and just for a brief second, he kind of stops his little computations and then he starts up again. And uh, she, she puts that little toy horse uh, on the desk, but you know, Milo keeps just doing his little calculation. So we know mentally he, he gone, he's in whatever that little world is. Back at Department of Defense headquarters, we see Walternet and he is walking into the lab <clears throat> where Brandon is, you know, has been conducting some tests. And he talks with Brandon and, you know, Brandon has some of Peter's clothes sitting on this little tabletop thing and, and uh, Walternet says, uh, you have some of Peter's clothes. And so Brandon's trying to explain to him, well, yeah, he thought that if he got some of Peter's clothes, it might spark uh, Olivia to, you know, cross over to the, to the other side. And so Walternet says, hmm, good thinking. So Walternet asks him, well, when will it be ready? You know, when will your little experiments be ready? And Brandon is saying that, well, so far, all his little test subjects <clears throat> that he hooks up into this chair, they experience such high levels of anxiety that it throws off all his readings and stuff. So he can't get any accurate readings. So Walternet kind of kind of gives that little smile smirk that he does and says, well, <laughs> the obvious solution is to submerge the subjects in water. You know, kind of like stimulating a womb-like you know, atmosphere. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Brandon says, oh yeah, you know, I should have kind of thought of that. <clears throat> so then Brandon asks Walternet if he misses being a scientist. And Walternet says, I'm still a scientist. I just have a much larger laboratory. But it was kind of sinister the way he said it though. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now we're back at home with our Olivia and she's watching her little boyfriend, Frank, packing his clothes to get ready to go to North Texas to, uh, to fight this little disease outbreak we got. <clears throat> and they're kind of chit-chatting a little bit. <coughs> excuse me. When Peter, uh, excuse me, when Frank goes to answer the door, because he, he says, oh, that's probably the cab, then Olivia kind of, you know, is sitting there, and then all of a sudden she hears Peter's voice, and Peter's asking her, you know why you didn't die today, right? And so Olivia kind of looks slowly. It's kind of like when you got an intruder in the room, but you don't want to be startled. So she kind of looks slowly to her left over to this wall. And she sees Peter standing there, and he's dressed in all black. And Peter says, because you don't know the protocol. If you had stopped for oxygen, you'd be dead right now. But you did something you couldn't factor in. You kept running. You know why you did that, right? For the same reason you thought you saw Walter in the hospital. It's the same reason you think you're seeing me now. You're not from this world, Olivia. You're not her. And Olivia's just looking all... She, she looks scared, but she looks worried, too. Like, And she's not saying a word. And so when Peter says, you're not her, then Olivia is staring at him, and she says, kind of in a whisper, you're not real. And so Peter smiles and he starts walking toward her. And <clears throat> he says, real is just a matter of perception. I am here and I am a part of you that you have to hold on to. 
You can't forget who you are, Olivia. You can't forget where you're from. You can't forget this. And then he kisses her. And Olivia, she has kind of closed her eyes and, you know, is kissing Peter. Well, at that moment, Frank comes back into the room, putting his coat on, getting ready to tell her, okay, that was the cab and I'm getting ready to leave. And he sees Olivia. She's facing the wall, kind of had turned her body toward the wall, and her eyes are closed. So Frank said, asking uh, Olivia, uh, what's wrong? And she says, nothing. You just surprised me, that's all. And then she tells him, you know, that she'll miss him and everything, and he leaves. And once Frank leaves, Olivia's looking real worried. That's the end of the episode. That was a good episode. I really like that episode. This is one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. I loved yeah. it. That was real good episode. Loved it. And I, you know, I like the, I, I like the episodes in our universe because I like Walter and Astrid. I don't like the fake Olivia, but, you know, that's only because she's with Peter. But I really like the episodes in the alternate universe, Me though, too. because we get to see their alternate selves and all this little workings that Walternet's trying to do. Ooh, Lord. I love the alternate universe because we get to see Charlie. Oh, yeah. I really like I Charlie. I love Charlie. Yeah, I really like we him. We get to see him and Olivia still interact, which I love. Mm hmm. And I actually do like the Lincoln character, too. I he do, too. very interesting. And like Charlie mentioned on one of the scenes where him and Lincoln were talking about Olivia, mm -hmm. they have this Vulcan mind meld thing, is what he said. Mm -hmm. How they can kind of think alike. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of like that dynamic, too, of someone else besides Charlie and besides uh, Walter who know Olivia. Walter Nett. No, Walter. Oh. And, yeah, who know Olivia and kind of can think like she thinks and, and understand. But what I found interesting is that even though Lincoln supposedly has this connection with her, he doesn't see anything different with her. He Charlie is tell. the one questioning whether this is the real Olivia or not. But that's because Charlie is the one that heard her saying all that stuff. He was, he heard from the, uh, from Broyles and from the, uh, what you call them, the psychiatrist lady or whatever that woman was showing her the pictures that Olivia was saying, you know, this ain't my life, this ain't my mama, this, you know. She said it to Lincoln too when she had the gun on him, but. That's true. You know, they all talked it up to her having this episode. And this is the first time though that I understood, at least me, because. I'm slow sometimes. <laughs> that I understood that Lincoln and Charlie did not know that that's the fake Olivia there. No, they don't. Nobody I thought knows. they did. Nobody knows but Broyles. I know. And this is where I realized that. And I was like, <laughs> this is great. I love that. Well, they don't know. Yeah, I, I never thought that they knew. I did for some no. reason. I thought that they knew. Because. In the first episode. Because Walternet was very hesitant to even tell Broyles. But he had to tell Broyles because oh, he, he had to put her into place. No, he was talking to Broyles about it all the time, which didn't phase me now. He just didn't tell Broyles the real reason why he right, did it. Right, that's true. I, though, this is the first time that, at least in my mind, that I remember them saying that Charlie and Lincoln didn't know. Well, you could kind of tell because when she was trying to tell Charlie uh, 
in the whole episode with the cab driver and stuff. He wasn't he wasn't believing her. Nobody was believing her. But the cabbie. And where he at it. Well, they're gonna make her feel like they don't believe her. Mm-hmm. Even if they did believe her. Like that doctor knew she wasn't the real Olivia, but she was gonna play along. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's what I chalked it up to. But I really liked that. And I loved how they had Charlie asking that question. Okay, but I feel I'm uncomfortable. Something's making me uncomfortable with this. Do you remember her saying all this stuff about her not being the real Olivia? What if it's true? And then when she didn't know the code and he was like, huh. Well, and I thought out. it was interesting when he was telling Lincoln, uh, they look just alike. They're identical. They right. look just alike. We can't tell them apart. Yeah. And Lincoln mm-hmm. joking with him saying, well, yeah, you got cold cocked by the doppelganger. <laughs> I bet he, he says, I bet you do feel stupid. Oh, that was a good line. You know? That was a good line. That was funny. But I just I just like that, that whole scene mm-hmm. with them two talking about her. And trying to figure out mm-hmm. is she real or not? I like this. That uh, uh, I like this guy that was playing Milo though. He was perfect. Ooh, his name is Michael Eklund. Oh, he was perfect. He I love freaked the, me the he hell was freaking out because every time he was calculating, he'd be rubbing his little fingers together like a cricket. You know you what know? made it freaky? This is what makes it freaky, and this always bothers me in movies where there's this freaky killer or something. What? He didn't say nothing. Oh, no. He didn't say nothing. He didn't utter a word. He He's just, just looking. 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 Silent as can be. Mm-hmm. Didn't say what nothing. What freaked me out, though? That freaked me no. out. What freaked me out, and it stayed with me the whole scene, is when he was walking behind that woman. Oh, yeah. That didn't freak me out. That did. I that, thought he was going to do something to her until the whole scene played out. Yeah. I was like, what is going on? What is? Why is he looking at the lights, looking at the bike rider, but I figured, looking at the taxi? What's, you know, well, but the really freaky scene was when they show him walking away and her getting hit by that butt. I know. But when he, for me anyway, when he stood that pin up on its end and it just stayed there, I knew he had some kind of power or something. He didn't have no power. Well, but, yeah, he did. No, he didn't. What What made that pin fall was the taxi hitting the pothole. But what made, made it stand vibrate. up? He stood it up. You can stand a pin up for any length of time Do until it. something, okay, look. Now, this is not good for our. <laughs> it's got to be a pin that has a bottom. Like, that kind of big pin has a bottom on it. It's like this pin, see? Okay, do it. Let me see. Oh. Yeah, until, it did stand that up. Taxi, <laughs> until that taxi came by and vibrated that mailbox. Yeah, that's true. And made it fall over. Yeah, that's true. So he didn't have a power. His power was that he could anticipate something. Mm-hmm. But that yeah, scene. He could set off those chain reactions. He knew what was coming. Coming. Yeah. Yeah. If he and did certain things. When they later on figured it out and pieced that shit together that he was killing them people because he didn't want them to take him off the program. Yeah. That was even more freaky. Wasn't that freaky? He didn't want to go off his meds. Now, but this is my thing. Okay. You've just seen a man fall into the mailbox and knock the mailbox over and fall into the fruit stand and make the fruit stand fall over. You gonna keep walking across the street? Especially yeah. a woman, okay, especially a woman who took the time to stop to give the homeless guy some money. That's true, she did. Took the time 
to smell some flowers and then go buy go some. in and buy them and then go on her way you mean to tell me she saw all that commotion and she wouldn't have ran back over there and said hey can i help no she kept walking across the street but the same with the same with the with the jogger with the headphones yes. on yeah all that commotion there well, we had headphones on that's why but you can still see all the commotion there yeah and just walk out in the and street. walk out in the street, and they, and they didn't show him getting it, but you could hear the ambulance hitting him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that it just so happened in our area there was an accident where a biker hit a jogger. Yeah. And they died. The which, jogger. Uh, the jogger died. Yep. Which I had never. I mean, and it was she was only twenty eight years old. So when I was watching this episode I thought about that because I was like oh my Mm -hmm. gosh this is so Mm -hmm. weird but you know people who who ride bikes on on a on a walking trail and with joggers and people walking their dogs and stuff you know people have headphones on and you can't hear nothing but somebody told me though this this is a side note somebody uh in my office today told me that what really happened uh, a person who uses that that particular trail what happened is she had her headphones on and she went to turn i guess she was going to turn to look or yeah. something but it was already there on her so it hit her from the front and she died because uh she had a head in right mm-hmm. right that's a shame it's though. just a shame though and hey them bikers go fast sometimes they do mm-hmm. but anyway and that trail is very busy yeah but anyway very busy Anyway, that's kind of what it reminded me of. And I was thinking, who, I mean, if I saw that commotion, I don't know if I would keep walking across the street in the crosswalk. I wouldn't, but, you know, they had to do it for the show. Mm -hmm. And then that guy who walked out with his headphones into the middle of the street and the ambulance cocked him. Yeah. Cold cocked him. Yeah. But anyway, the whole concept was so interesting. Mm -hmm. And to see all the little chain reactions going off to me. And it was really good when he he grabbed that bike and threw it down. And I'm thinking, why is he throwing a bike at her? I know. I'm like, what the hell is the bike doing? (laughs) And then it didn't even hit her. And I'm thinking, okay, he's dumb. Yeah. Why is he? Oh, that was good though. Because he knew that, that delivery truck. That was another scene that freaked me out. When he landed on that truck, sat down, and crossed his legs, was like, huh, what now, B? What now, huh? Come he, on. He was just What's smiling. Up? Oh, that was freaky. <laughs> that was excellent. That was excellent. And But don't you think she would have maybe tried to shoot his leg or something? No. I don't think no, so. No, I guess not. Because there's enough, I'm telling you. There's enough of the real Olivia in there. Yeah. Well, but see, she thinks she's a a marksman. You know, the faux Olivia is a marksman. Well, that's true. But like I said, there's enough of that Olivia, uh, uh, our Olivia in there. Because I think the fake Olivia would have shot him. Just like Charlie shot him in the leg. Yeah. To, to, to uh, stop him. To stop him. Mm-hmm. Although that wouldn't have stopped him, he would have still got away. But Well, but like Charlie said, he threatened to shoot him elsewhere, too. He said, right. next one ain't going in no leg. Right. So, you know. But yeah, that was a that was that a, guy that was a good episode. Was good. Mm-hmm. Playing him. Mm-hmm. The sister was good. I really felt sorry for her. I felt so bad for her. She her eyes were so big, she was just like, What? Mm-hmm. What's happening? And she really felt for her brother. And the you know. other freaky thing was when he was completing her sentences. Oh yeah. <laughs> that wasn't freaky. Yes, it was. <laughs> it, for some reason, it reminded me of the bodyguard. Oh, Lord. Remember the bodyguard, and there's that 
stalker, but he wasn't the killer. Mm. The blonde, like albino looking stalker. Yeah. And he would just go, uh, uh, I mean, he would ask him questions. He would just be sitting there going, I remember that scene. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of that scene when he was completing her sentences. I'm like, this fool is crazy. She well, needs to run, but I didn't at the time realize that you know he wasn't gonna hurt her. No, he wouldn't but, hurt her. Uh, but yeah. I don't know. This episode to me was one of the best. I thought it was very good because we got to see not only our Olivia interact as the fake Olivia in the alternate world, but it's also set up some future stuff because Charlie is suspicious. Yeah. Even if Lincoln is not yet, but Charlie is suspicious. Uh, Now we know that the test subjects that they're going to be immersing them in, in some tank of water, trying to get them to, to be able to conduct between alternate well, and, and real. to Olivia, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, because remember season one? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, yep, it was a very good episode. I enjoyed it. Now, one other thing I really liked, well, I don't know about really, but I liked seeing this interaction with Frank, the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And kind of getting some backstory on him and what he does. Yeah. And and she didn't actually seem to feel anything strange until she started talking about seeing Peter's face. Yeah. But, I mean, she was still smiling. She hugs people all the time. Have you noticed that? Even um, yep. in episode two, the faux Olivia was hugging people. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, not hugging, but when she was dancing with Peter, just overly friendly. And then the way she walked, like we were saying, when they got to the yeah. scene, that big gangly walk, you know? Well, to me, it's like, you know, military. It, it, it's like, you know, being in the military or, or something. Yeah, and, but you don't walk that gangly. Well, but, you know. Anyway, yeah. I just, I don't like her and Peter together. Though. And then the, oh, and then another good scene, Broyles and Walternet. That's good. And Broyles, though, like the alternate Broyles, he is, I'm telling you, something's going to happen, though. Something's going to kick off with him. I know. He is suspicious. He is. He is really thinking. He doesn't quite trust Walternet. No, he don't. And he is really thinking. And he is like, you could just see his mind. He's ticking off some stuff. He, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And he looked good in that tight shirt. He is. He's <laughs> looking good. Hello. Hey. Lance Reddick is looking good. I like all of the, even Astrid, though. I like the, the alternate Astrid. She is like a little mini computer. Yeah. And that's what they use her for. You know. It is, hey, they did an excellent job with this alternate universe stuff. Yes, I am excellent really job. liking this alternate world. Mm-hmm. But I will I am anxious to get an episode back in our universe because I want to see what Walter does with Massive Dynamic. I want to see what what happens there. And therefore there should be more interaction with Nina. Nina Sharp seemed to me. Yes, now didn't we see Nina in this episode? Uh-uh. No, we didn't. No, this is the alternate universe. Yeah, the whole right. thing was the alternate universe. That's right. Yeah. The whole thing. So, 
know. Well, we did have some feedback on this this episode. Oh, good. Okay. So let me read one of our first emails. Okay. It is from Kathy. Hey, Kathy. And she says, hi, ladies. So glad you guys are back with your Fringe podcast. I am behind on Fringe. I wait to watch them until my husband... Yeah. Okay. (laughs) We're going to gloss that over. I wait to watch them until my husband can watch with me, so we have only watched the season premiere so far. But you have mentioned Charlie and his worms a couple of times, so I wanted to explain where I think they came from. Yeah, we forgot to talk about that. Okay. You want to talk about that real quick before I read the rest of it? No. Go ahead and read. If you think back to season one, there was an episode where Charlie was stung by the weird tiger hybrid thing, mm-hmm. and the French team found that eggs were deposited into his system. He would have died had not Walter not found a cure. On the alternate side, however, Walter was not involved with science like our Walter, so he was not there to find a cure. Their side is advanced in medicine, though, so it makes sense that they were able to develop a treatment for Charlie. I have to admit that I did not come up with this theory on my own. I heard it on um, the Fringe podcast last season, but I think that that this is probably what happened and I thought I would share. Hmm. Keep up the good work, ladies, and I am so glad you guys are back with Fringe. True Blood and Fringe are my favorite shows, and it makes me happy that you podcast for both, Kathy. Well, thank you, Kathy, for that email. Thank you, Kathy. You know, I do recall in season one, Charlie getting that. However, I just didn't put together that the same event would happen to the alternate Charlie. You see well, what I'm saying? it did with Peter. Yes, it did with Peter, but... Peter was sick. But it didn't with Olivia. Olivia has her nope. sister. Nope. The, the fake Olivia sister died. Yep. So... You this, know, our Olivia had Cortexafan trials. The, the other fake one didn't. one didn't. So our Olivia, uh, her mother died. The fake Olivia, the mother is is alive, alive and well and living in France Kicking. and coming back and and all this stuff. So you know, I never put together that the that the alternate Charlie would have the worms. Well, he well, we does have worms. Yes, he I does have worms. I just didn't know where it came from, and I didn't mm-hmm. remember that first uh, season episode. But now that you say that, I seem to recall a nasty episode where we saw something moving in his stomach and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I thought that was over uh, when he died. You know, so well, he died on our universe. That's what I'm saying. But not in theirs. But 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 no. But that's what I'm saying. I just didn't. Uh, I didn't put together that, and, and I'm not ready to. To say that that's the explanation. I'm just not ready for that. Because I don't think everything. I think they have alternate selves. But I just don't think everything happens the, uh, uh, also the to that person. Yeah, so I, I, I'm i not well, ready to say that, a, yeah, that's where he got it from. I think that's a good explanation for this one. Well, it, yeah, so. and it could be. Okay, we got any others? Yes, we had a voicemail, so let me play that now. Oh, cool. Hi, Sister K and Sister J. It's Nadine from Maine. So, uh, Fringe. Uh, I I can understand why the Peter-Olivia relationship is uncomfortable. It's just, I don't know. It's so funny because they have such great chemistry, but I'm not buying the kissing. Um, but I have to say, um, episode three, I absolutely love the fact that alternate Charlie question whether Olivia is really 
you know, their Olivia, um, you know, just because, you know, just because he's thinking. I love how, you know, they're not making everyone just believe the status quo. So that, I, I think that's really good writing. Now, with Peter and Olivia, oh, I don't know. And I have to say, um, Anna Torres, she's a phenomenal actress. Because as much chemistry as Peter and Olivia have, Peter, Peter and Olivia just don't have that same chemistry. She has to push it more because she's obviously not, she doesn't like him at that same level. Um, and that scene when they're making out on the couch, I was blown away how hard and, you know, calm and calculating Bolivia was. Oh, my goodness. I mean, to put a bullet in that poor man and start kissing Peter while his blood is leaking out of the bathroom, I mean, that took some cojones. But anyway, <laughs> um, can't wait to listen to your podcast. I have uh, your second the second episode podcast ready to go. I just wanted to, um, you know, give you guys a voicemail. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you, Nanine. I think it was Nanine for that great voicemail. Mm-hmm. And I agree. The whole thing with Peter and the faux Olivia, yep. something is, well, the real or the faux Either one, <laughs> in my opinion, is not right. I don't like how they're doing that. Well, it's the it's the fake Olivia because she's the one that's in our universe. So, right. But even having the fake Olivia be kind of standoff or what she say, she was. It seems like she's forcing it more. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. But I still don't think I would like it, even if it was our real Olivia in the yeah. real universe. Yeah, they need to change that storyline or have something happen or something. Something. But anyway, but I do agree with the Charlie comment, though, because I really like the fact that, yeah, Charlie is questioning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's not that. quite kosher in his mind. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully we'll get somebody in our real universe to actually question also. Yes. You know? Yeah. Like in the next episode or two. Okay, well, we have an email, another email from Marilyn. And she says, hey, sisters, I just wanted to say that I'm really liking this season so far. I am enjoying the fact that they are switching us between the two universes for their stories from week to week. Me too. Besides sparking great storylines, it gives us a chance to see more of John Noble's great acting skills and his work as he portrays both the befuddled Walter of this universe and the steely-eyed Alter Walter of the other universe. Mm-hmm. My only minor gripe is why isn't Peter just the least bit suspicious of the suddenly openly <laughs> affectionate <laughs> Olivia? Mm-hmm. A previously buttoned-down Olivia is suddenly asking him to dance in a bar and jumping his bones in her apartment, and he does not seem to be questioning it much. Yep. So I am wondering what little thing is going to trip up the Alter Olivia to reveal the switch. My thinking is that it will be something to do with her niece or sister. As always, mm-hmm. looking forward to hearing what your the sisters have to say, Marilyn. Well, thanks, Marilyn, for that email. You know, I tend to agree that I think it's going to be the niece, Ella. Because children are always real sensitive, just like animals. If Olivia had a pet, like a dog oh, or a cat yeah. or something, hey, instantly, you know. That dog would have been yeah. like, uh-uh. yeah. You and my mama. Although, the alternative, uh, I mean, although our Olivia over the alternate universe, that dog just was wagging his tail at her, remember? When she went to the mama's house? 
Oh, that's right. That big old lab, yellow lab. And but labs, was, those are dogs that really like anybody. They, they're very docile. Very, I very, forgot about very that dog, good. Though. Yeah, labs got good dispositions, but if they had a chihuahua or something. And if she believes <laughs> she's her, would that <laughs> make the dog think that she's her? But at that point, she went into the house. She didn't believe she was her. That's true. See, so. That's anyway. Good question. Yeah. Good but, question. But, um, yeah. That was a good email. Very good email. Thank you. And if anyone else would like to send us an email, you can do so at sisterspeak at gmail.com. Our voicemail number is 972-692-7341. Our website is sistersinreview.com. Uh, we are both on Twitter at underscore sister J and underscore sister K. And our Facebook page is facebook.com slash podcast. Dang, that's a lot. I know. So we have a lot of ways you can reach us, communicate with us. And hopefully we won't be late anymore. Well. I just want to let y'all know, I'm Sister uh, Jay. It was not my doing. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. One day it was, one day it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Anyway. We got to get our schedules in. Well, we're going to do it so Sister K will give the first part of the recaps and I will do the ending. Okay. I like it that way. Yeah. Half it up. Me too, because I like doing the ending because I'm a little more colorful. Oh, mm, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, thank you, guys. We hope you stay tuned for us next week. Until then, I'm Sister K. And I'm Sister J. See you next time. <laughs>